Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back to talk all things WWE as the company continues to build toward its next pay-per-view, Hell in a Cell. We're talking SmackDown, we're talking Raw, and we are talking everything in between on this weekly WWE episode. There is a ton to get to today. It was two jam-packed editions of SmackDown and Raw this week with a ton that went down, though a lot of it, unfortunately, especially on one show, stuff we have seen before. We're going to get to all of that in a minute. You know what we got to do off the top in this show. We got to take care of a little business and remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about the five. That means we want those five-star ratings. We want those reviews. We want you to head on over to Apple Podcasts, submit those ratings and reviews, and let people know how much you love this show. We got a lot of them. I think right now on iTunes, we got 320 reviews and, and ratings, which is fantastic. We want more. We're greedy. Let's get that number up by 100 before we get to June. That is the goal. And the way you can help us is just by opening up the Apple Podcasts app on, or iTunes on any device or computer that you have, finding the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, leaving a few words about why you love the show, and hitting those five stars. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That is where we release every episode and we also talk wrestling all week long during Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW sharing news, not only national news that um, we're able to share, but even occasionally a story that we're going to be able to report ourselves in between. So do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. But with all of that out of the way, let's get into today's show. As always, I welcome my co-host, Vintage Chris Vanini. And Chris, it seems like most WWE episodes these days, because it, we're taping it immediately after Raw, that's the show... Those are the storylines that are freshest in our minds. So we often start these shows sometimes complaining that SmackDown is really good and Raw is really not so good. Many weeks bad, recently a little bit more mediocre. But what I'm having a problem with for on Monday nights right now, it's not just the stale booking, but it is the ungodly amount of rematches that we have to deal with Every single Monday night. And I think what WWE fails to understand is that by booking constant, never-ending rematches, they're actively giving fans reasons not to tune into Raw. If they rotated talent and matches, even if the feuds are extended, you can convince fans to watch your show because, hey, you've never seen Kofi Kingston fight Riddle before. Bobby Lashley versus Xavier Woods Sounds like a can't-miss match. Hey, Kofi Kingston and Damian Priest, I never thought we would get that. Rhea Ripley and Naomi, that's a really good match. Naomi's getting on TV. Rhea Ripley has a chance for a big win. I want to see how they work well together. That could be really interesting. Instead, they're actively telling viewers, hey, there's no reason to tune in this week or next week because you're literally going to see the same stuff that you just saw. And it may be great. Charlotte Flair and Asuka is a great match. But if you get it three weeks in a row, 
the wind that it puts into the sails of a wrestling fan to actually want to see it gets lessened every single time that you run it. Raw on Monday featured four really good matches from a wrestling standpoint. Three of them were either a screw job finish with a rematch already set for next week or rematches themselves that took part of 50-50 booking. That ruins the ability to enjoy the top tier wrestling that we're actually getting on Raw because to their credit, they've been putting on some banger matches for the last month or so. But you forget or don't care how good the matches are because the booking that surrounds them sucks. And I just don't understand, Chris, how a show that has been airing on television for nearly three decades, I think it's 29 years for Raw right now, doesn't understand the basics of booking and promoting its own programming. Yeah, this this was a weird episode of Raw because it also felt like the quickest episode of Raw in a long time. Like the show ended and I was like, oh, wait, it's over because they had it. I, I don't know what the numbers are, but it felt like fewer matches, but longer matches, like which I segment, loved, by the way, three segment matches. And so like in one sense, it was like, oh, this episode actually didn't feel like a slog. But at the same time, I wasn't super engaged because it was all stuff we'd seen before. And a lot of it was not. Um, there there weren't stakes in a lot of them, or they were just kind of weird. So, yeah, it, it was a different episode of Raw, but the rematches are a problem. And it, it just it often feels like Raw gets to Monday and realize, oh crap, we forgot to book the show. Let's just run it back and figure it out next week, and then we do it over again. And it just kind of keeps repeating itself. That that's kind of the sense I get from Raw. Yeah, like we'll get into it, but like there was a number one contendership match last week where. If Charlotte went beats Oscar, it wasn't even a number one contendership. It was just, hey, Charlotte, if you beat Oscar last week, you'll be the number one contender. She loses. Then they have a match this week with no stipulation. She wins and she gets a title match. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, what are you doing? And why are you doing the exact same match two weeks in a row when you have yeah. five weeks to the pay-per-view? Why not have Oscar fight Lana and Charlotte fight Naomi this week and ha- have a little bit of interim deal. And then you say, hey, Charlotte, say, hey, look, I got screwed. Ripley, you know, interfered with me two weeks ago. I want another shot at Asuka. And you do it next week. At least give us a little breathing room here. They literally had a match between, which we'll talk about a little bit later, between Drew McIntyre and Kofi Kingston, where it was a banger. It was great. But they didn't give us a finish for the sole reason of saying, hey, you know that match you just saw that you really liked? You're going to watch that again next week, but next week we'll give you a finish. That's literally the booking that they gave us on the show. So when we come into, I'm just kind of setting the stage here. When we come into these WWE episodes, if we were taping these Friday night or Saturday morning after SmackDown, we don't open the show talking about, man, Raw has been really rough recently because we're going to be fresh in our minds off of SmackDown. But when we're taping them on Tuesday and the thing that we have just seen is three hours of Monday night rematch, just repetitive booking and repeat matches when there's no reason to repeat all of these matches. Some of them, okay, yeah, I don't believe WWE needs to be like AEW where it never has rematches or or the rematches are so rare that you're like shocked when you see one. I'm not saying WWE has to do that, but what they don't need to do is give us three singles women's matches that are identical in a six-week span. They don't need to give us five women's tag team championship matches that are identical in a seven-week span. The, the roster's too big. There's too many really talented people on the roster to not give them a greater chance. It's uh, it's just weird. It, 
I don't know what to say other than I feel like they don't know what they're going to do until the show starts and then they just run it back. There's not much analysis to do about Raw because it was the same thing. Like, yeah, there's not there's not much a a ton we can really do on that part other than to just say, okay, we're doing this again and we're going to do it again next week now. You just look at it and you're like, where's the creativity? Like you're getting the Alistair Black vignette on SmackDown. You're getting the Eva Marie vignettes on Raw. I mean, if there's if there's a way to juxtapose the two shows based on just that, that. Or the way the mid-card well, title for the, Well, looked. for the record, I actually like the Eva ones, and I'm not. I thought Eva's this week was actually very good. I and I'm actually that. not high on the Alistair yeah. ones, but we'll get to those later. Okay, but but the 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 creativity. Yeah, no, for sure, about. for sure. Raw's, Even if you didn't like it. SmackDown's interesting. They they just, they get, they they elevate random people, make them a big deal, and suddenly you're into Cesaro, you're into Jey Uso, you're into Nakamura, you're into Dominic Mysterio, you're into the Dirty Dogs, you're into... Chad Gable is just like they just make everybody interesting and Raw just can't do that. And I still don't understand, again, how this is the same company. It is. It is the question that we ask ourselves every week. And look, folks, even though we're starting on a little bit of a negative note, there was a lot of positive this week in WWE. Do not get me wrong. And we're going to start getting into it right now as we slide into the main event. So we like to start the main event talking about SmackDown because SmackDown clearly is not just the A-show in terms of importance, but the A-show in terms of quality. And let's get started with the way SmackDown started, which was a parade of champions. Everyone is on the stage, all the champions on SmackDown, except for Roman Reigns. Sonya Deville's in the ring, putting over crowds returning to WWE. That is a topic that we will discuss, by the way, later in this episode. So stay tuned. We'll talk about crowds returning to WWE in July. Uh, But she's there propping all that up. And then she tries to introduce Roman Reigns. And instead, Paul Heyman comes out. Coming out, by the way, to Roman Reigns' old Shield music, which I just thought was really strange. Uh, but Heyman said Reigns is a champion while everyone else there are title holders. And he's going to be the main draw for fans when they are able to come back to arenas in July. Now, we're going to pause here on this opening segment because a lot of other storyline development happened in it, particularly with the women. So we'll pause here. We're going to get back to that later. But what we're going to do is stay with the Roman Reigns and family storyline that involves some other people as well. So Reigns actually came out at 9 p.m. So mid-show main event, not the actual main event, which was really nice, in my opinion, for a change. He said he didn't like to brag. So Heyman basically flated him and, and praised his entire tenure since returning to WWE. He went through every single thing Reigns has accomplished. Reigns demanded to see Jimmy Uso, but Cesaro instead made his entrance with a sling on his arm and challenged Reigns directly at Hell in a Cell. Before Reigns could even respond, Seth Rollins attacked Cesaro, pulled off the sling, screamed, when are you going to learn? And then kept getting pulled off of him, attacked him twice more with stomps until a stretcher came out to take Cesaro away. Reigns and company just disappeared from the ring while all of this was happening. So the Reigns stuff was basically inconsequential to the entire show. Rollins later yelled at Cesaro as he was getting wheeled off. And it's clear, Chris, that the goal here is to set up Rollins against Cesaro at Hell in a Cell, in my opinion inside Hell in a Cell. Otherwise, I don't know why you run an angle the way you do this angle. I'd be shocked if it's not the match. It's an appropriate feud to blow off at the pay-per-view. And I think putting it inside a cell makes a lot of sense to finally end it, allow Cesaro to go over Rollins once and for all. And look, a match between them, especially one inside of a cell, would be incredible. So I'm totally here for it. The, The way Rollins' character and his attacks were booked also completely worked for me. So while this didn't do much for Reigns, 
it did advance Cesaro and Rollins in a positive way to take us to, I think, what's an obvious but solid conclusion, which will be a Hell in a Cell match at the pay-per-view. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's clearly where we are going with those two. And it's it's good because we I, I, I like having some mystery here. I like not knowing immediately what the next stories are going to be. There's some mystery being set up with the Roman stuff. But Cesaro Rollins makes sense. You know, we, we only got it. I get, we didn't get it at Backlash, and and, and, and this will be another. I, I think this will probably be another attempt to put Cesaro over or or continue a Rollins Cesaro storyline. Um, but they've they've done a great job of just weaving like several stories into this Roman stuff. He doesn't have to be the focus of the show, but he's a great jumping off point to other storylines that that tie together. It just kind of goes back to it's remarkable how WWE can put this intricate story together and can't put anything together on Raw, but. Yeah, I, I think this sets up I don't know, this is all Rollins in Hell in a Cell. I like it. So Rollins is getting more and more kind of ferocious and it works. This, this is good. Yeah, and I loved really for the first time in a long time that even though Reigns was featured throughout the show, he was really a secondary storyline for once. And the Intercontinental title was really the main storyline on the show because it's been every week with him and SmackDown basically taking 40 minutes to an hour of television and dedicating it solely to Roman Reigns and his family. And this week, for them to take a step back, it was nice. And they need to do that a little bit more often on that show. But this was a great example of them doing it. Uh, Now, earlier in the show, Jimmy Uso told Sonya Deville he and his brother wanted to get back in the tag team title picture. He asked for the Street Profits, and Deville granted it for next week. Jay was really mad when he was told about the match, but Jimmy convinced him. So Jay said, okay, fine, whatever. Let me just run it by Reigns. Roman told Jay that his loyalty was actually to him and not his own brother. And I thought that was, you know, obviously super interesting. Uh, And Jay looked kind of a bit catatonic when Roman was telling him all that and then giving him a hug. The Street Profits later cut a promo on the Usos. I just thought it was a really good, quick build. The match is going to be great. And I'm really excited to see how the family dynamics work. My assumption is going to be that the Street Profits win because Jay leaves Jimmy there by himself or something like that happens. But I mean, look, We're getting the Usos and the Street Profits next week. Again, when I talk about, like I did in the opening today, Raw not having the ability to build and create matches people want to see and give them reasons to tune into their show and actually doing the opposite by doing rematches. Meanwhile, on SmackDown, you have the Usos versus the Street Profits, which is a match we have not seen. And they gave us enough of a promotion for it next week where I, as a fan, am now really excited to tune into SmackDown. Not just because I know SmackDown is going to be good, but I really want to see this match. Yeah, well, first off, let's make sure we acknowledge the Tribal Chief on his 36th birthday today. I, I guess we forgot to shout that one out. I'm currently wearing my Wreck Everyone and Leave shirt. It's actually the first wrestling shirt I've gotten in a few years. Um, so uh, happy birthday to Roman Reigns. We acknowledge the head of the table. Um, but yeah, Usos versus Street Profits. That one, that's just a match we haven't seen before and we really want to see and could be an awesome match. And there's an awesome storyline in cloud floating over it of what's going to happen with Jimmy and Jay. Like, this is just tremendous. I am really, really excited for this. I, you figure Jay, Jimmy's going to involve some kind of betrayal at some point, but you also know you're going to, you're going to see the Usos working together. And the next time Roman doesn't want to see that, it's going to be in the back of Jay's mind. It's really building these, like he's torn between these two people. This is just every, every week, the, every week, the Roman 
and company story is just like the best thing going on in wrestling for literally eight, nine months now. And it just they keep introducing new pieces and it keeps getting more and more interesting. This is just I'm really, really excited for this next week. What's incredible about it is there's five people involved in this feud, six if you include Paul Heyman, but five wrestlers. All of them I care about. All of them have storylines that make sense. They're all they've all been built strong, despite Rollins seemingly losing like 30 matches in a row, it feels like. I don't know the last time the guy has actually won something of consequence. He still feels strong because he's so devious and he attacks people and and he gets up on them in non-match segments. But I but I care about all of it. And it is again bringing me, it's pulling me to tune into the show because I want to see what's going to happen next. And that is what any good storytelling, any good entertainment device, whether it's a TV show, a movie, it's, you know, why, why do you binge shows on Netflix? You binge them because, holy crap, that last episode was so good. I don't care that it's 3 a.m. I want to see what's going to happen next before I go to sleep. I'll watch the last two episodes tomorrow. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally make myself tired the next day because I need to see what happens next. And SmackDown largely is actually achieving that. And I think this overall storyline, even throwing in some of the little twists, like the way Roman and, and Rollins look at each other. And what's going to happen with Jimmy? Is he going to fall in line or is he not? And if he doesn't, is it going to be a, a Roman feud or a J feud? Are we going to get brother versus brother? Yeah. All of these really, really cool subplots that all connect to the main storylines, the two main storylines all involved within this are exceedingly <laughs> interesting. And when you consider that Roman Reigns is the champion and really outside of Cesaro, no one else in those five people is going after the championship. That's pretty exceptional, right? And, and I think WWE needs to improve its booking in non-title feuds across all of its brands. I think uh, NXT does a really good job, but Raw and SmackDown, the ability to have a feud over something that is not a championship is very important. And SmackDown is right now doing it better, certainly than Raw in, yeah. by, by a mile. Yeah, and, and one other kind of random thing. I, I just was on YouTube the other day and just came across the Roman versus Cena promo before No Mercy 2017. And is this that was the, after, is that the big dog one with the zipper? Yeah, That's this was after promo. Roman had already retired Undertaker, and this is Cena basically seeing if Roman's the guy, seeing if he can be right. the guy to carry the company. He, he the, the one where Cena says, I'm part-time because you can't do your job. Right. And Roman like forgets his lines a couple times in that. And Cena calls him out on it and breaks the fourth wall and this kind of stuff. And you could you could see our, this is a Roman Reigns at that point who had main evented two or three WrestleManias, had just retired the Undertaker multi-time champion. And man, he did not look comfortable in that role in a spot against going up against John Cena. And I Roman, I'm pretty sure won the match and whatever, but I, I I saw that and I just I was like, man, he really has come a long way as a character and just understanding who he is and what this is. And when he gets back to crowds, I can't wait to see how that goes, because he struggled for a long time in that. And now he has built himself up with the confidence in the character to where at some point, John Cena is probably going to come back for a one off or something. And I cannot wait to see Roman and Cena face to face again. And he 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 has stepped up and become that face of the company, but in a different way than they thought they were going to do at the time. So if you've ever gone back and watched old Roman stuff and you see, oh, I remember why everybody booed this guy all the time. And maybe it was maybe he got a bad rap for it. But man, he is a completely different dude now. 
and I cannot wait to see how he performs in front of crowds in the coming months because he he has really stepped himself up to another level. And we see it every week on SmackDown with every promo he cuts, and and it's just it's been really cool to see where he is now. That that was actually one of my favorite sound drops that I used to have on the old podcast, and I'm gonna bring it back because you're reminding me to do it. But wow. when Cena mentions that his fly is down and Reigns improv i mean credit to him for this he just goes yeah i busted it big dog <laughs> it's like holy shit man this guy has personality like where is this yeah there like, were where bits is this pe- guy there's bits and pieces in there you can like see the talent that they see but he's not comfortable in his skin yet yeah and, and it, now he is full time and now and now he completely is yeah i think he's gonna get his ass chewed out by fans i think they're gonna buy into him being a heel and really boom heavily but the question is how long until that turns how long until he does shit that's so cool? Because everything he does is cool. Where they just start naturally cheering because they want to root for him now. And right. look, people, we'll, we'll move on. We got a lot more to talk about in the show. But anyone who has been a longtime listener of mine in wrestling podcasts in this quarter state of combat, you know, it is my core belief in wrestling that if you have a guy who you cannot get over as a face, making him a great heel for a long time and then turning him back face will fix the ills. They had they needed to do it with John Cena. They refused to. They have they had needed to do it with Roman Reigns for a long time, refused to. They finally did, whether he forced their hand or not. When they turn Roman Reigns' face, whenever it is, 2023, I don't care. Whenever they do it, he is going to be over like Rover. He is going to be the biggest face in the industry. And I hope that they plan that out as well as they have his heel run. Cause right now he's operating almost 10 out of 10, 9.5 out of 10. And as we said last week, he is the front runner easily for wrestler of the year right now. Okay, let's move on. Uh, we'll go to that intercontinental title match, the fatal four way in the main event of SmackDown built up to be a big deal over the entire show. Now I assume everyone listening to this podcast, especially considering it's Tuesday and this aired Friday already knows what happened, but If you don't, I'm going to be giving it away a little bit here by what we talk about before we talk about the match. And that was a vignette we got early in the show, Aleister Black, Tales of the Dark Father, part four or five, I forget, beautiful pain. Black said the pain etched on his body serves a purpose because it's honest. He showed off his tattoos. He got a bunch of new ones, by the way, and said our identity has become being loathsome and blind while living in sin. Then Black said he'll separate the weak from the strong and call the herd. After last week's vignette really lost me. I didn't like it last week. This one completely brought me back into it. And I actually wrote down that it was one of the best yet, if not the best of these yet. I also have another note that said, I want to see this guy debut ASAP after this vignette, hopefully the Friday after Hell in a Cell. So we'll talk about what actually happened going forward here. But seeing the vignette, are you still really not into this? I was more into it after this one because okay. we got to see the tattoos. There, there was a tangible thing you could feel because otherwise he was just kind of spewing nonsense. Um, so I, I liked this better than the other ones. Yes. OK, as long as you were on board more, even if not all the way, a little bit more uh, than you were after the previous ones. I do think the second and third weren't that great. But this last one for me was like it really saved it for me. OK, so we got the main event of the show, Intercontinental Championship. Fatal four-way Apollo Crews defending against Biggie, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. Uh, all four guys cut promos before the match. Zayn mentioned the documentary again, 
So thank God that's happening. You guys know I've been getting worried because they haven't mentioned it in a number of weeks. I thought they wouldn't follow through. But Sammy mentioned it. That makes me feel really good. Yes. Uh, Biggie hit a double splash on the ring apron, the hardest part of the ring. <laughs> and Owens knocked him out with a tope cannonball before nailing a senton bomb on Zane for a near fall. The Biggie and KO battles within the match themselves were really fun. They worked well together. I think that would be a great feud. Uh, Cruz did a German three amigos on Big E. Owens kicked out at 2.9 after a Mishinoku driver by Zane. But KO came back with an avalanche fisherman's buster broken by Cruz. Apollo hit KO with a Death Valley driver on the ring apron, the hardest part of the ring. And Big E took Cruz out with a Tope Suicida spear. This match was insane. I'm really kind of just getting started. Uh, Big E delivered belly-to-belly suplexes to the heels, but got caught in a Huluva kick from Zane. Cruz grabbed Zane into an exploder as Biggie hit Cruz with a German for a redonkulous simultaneous suplex. KO tried to take advantage with a frog splash for a 2.8 on Biggie. Zane then caught KO in a hook release suplex and a blue thunderbomb for a near fall. Cruz kicked out of a pop-up powerbomb and Owens thwarted a big ending on Zane. KO ate another hook release suplex outside by Zane. Biggie hit the big ending on Cruz, but Commander Aziz pulled him out of the ring on what would have been a three count. Biggie drove Aziz into the ring post and suddenly the lights flickered and then changed. Out of nowhere, there's a big blinding light and Alistair Black steps out of it to ringside. He entered the ring, stared down Biggie and hit him with the black mass as Cruz was holding Biggie by the leg. Cruz covered him, retained the title as Biggie and Black stared each other down with Black walking up the ramp. So there is a lot to unpack here, obviously. Let's start with the match. And after we talk about the match, we'll get into the storytelling. This was an incredible match. Yes. Uh, it was superb. It was not only well-placed in the main event, it needed to be there. It was rightly given 25 minutes so that these guys could really do everything that they wanted to do. I was let down a little bit at the finish because the match was cresting to this crescendo and it was about to hit the climax, even though the finish involved a return of a wrestler who you guys know I've been dying to see. I'm a huge fan of Aleister Black. So while I loved the match and I completely understand the reasoning for the finish, it was just a little bit disappointing not to see a clean ending. So for the match, I'm going to give it a 4.25 and an A, but it really could have been an A plus if it finished in a real way. That's how good the wrestling was in this thing. Yeah, it, it, you knew it was going to be a great match with, with all these guys in it, and they did it. They did it in a good way. The finish was. Part of me is like, oh, I'm not sure. Part of me is like, why Big E? But then I'm realizing, no, this is basic wrestling storytelling. A guy interferes in a championship match, and you you don't know why, and then you find out the next week. So that's <laughs> probably what's going to happen here. Uh, so assuming we get that explanation a week from now. Um, I'll I'll be cool with it. So it was it was fine. I, I mean, I liked that it. it was like you said, 25 minutes main event. SmackDown does a really good job of making the Intercontinental Championship matches typically main events of SmackDown is the way it should go. So it it, it all flowed well in the uh, structure of the show. And yeah, the ending was a little weird, but you know we're not supposed to have all the answers now. So I'm 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 willing to give SmackDown, you know, an opportunity next week to explain it to me. Well, that's the key. You you allow SmackDown the benefit of the doubt, right? Like yeah. we see this, we're like, okay, let's see what happens. Raw, when you have Mason T-Bar invade a main yeah, event, yeah. 
you're like, this is dog shit. Because you know it's not going to be good. And by the way, they still haven't explained it, right? No. Like, <laughs> And we haven't seen these guys in like three weeks, except for yep. like Lumberjacks, I think. So it's a joke. So let's move to Aleister Black. Um, yes. So with the finish, with the booking, I understand the decision. It was a really clever way to quickly establish an upper mid-card feud and take Biggie away from the Intercontinental title, yes. which you probably needed to do if he was not going to win it again soon. Right. So I'm sure next week Black's going to explain his reasoning for targeting Big E. I'm sure Big E will come out, cut a promo on him, you know, and something will happen. And for those reasons, it makes a ton of sense. You don't really want Black re-debuting and fighting Otis or Chad Gable. Big E is a major feud for him right off the bat for a guy who needs a rocket strapped to him. And the contrast in styles between Black and Big E is going to make for incredible wrestling. So the feud's going to be fantastic. At the same time, if I'm going to take the other side, I wish it could have come a little bit after the match instead of factoring directly into the finish. It also presents a really tough booking scenario for WWE because you have Black returning. They've clearly put a lot of time and energy into him. Fans clearly like him. And he should really win his first feud. Yet, are you going to have Big E look like a loser by dropping a feud to Black after he just lost the Intercontinental Championship while Black is not reestablished yet. It's a really tough spot booking-wise. And I'll tell you one thing, it's basically what we just said. I certainly trust SmackDown to handle it a lot better than it would go on Raw. And I'm excited as hell that Aleister Black is back and he's getting to fight Big E. Yeah, and, and I trust WWE to protect Big E and... If he loses the feud with Black, you know, the probably fight at SummerSlam, maybe they do a couple more, maybe comes out on, on the losing end. He'll be fine. He's clearly one of their favorite guys in the company. We all know he's a future WWE champion at some point. Hope. They know we that. Hope he is. They, they know. I mean, they know that that's what the split was. That's what all this stuff was. We know how much they value him. So it'll be OK. And again, on SmackDown, we can trust that he'll be put back into a position to look pretty good. Clearly, they don't see him going for the title anytime soon with Roman. It's time to get him away from the IC picture. So this makes sense. It'll be it'll be fine. I I, I think it's good. I'm, I'm really interested to see where it goes. I mean, look, if, if the goal for them, like we I mean, I think we just put, are putting it into the universe, right? That we think Roman Reigns versus Big E should be the match at WrestleMania. Something like this, that. This yeah. upcoming year, right? Yeah. Um, you can, you theoretically, there's enough time where you could have him go back to the IC title, but you really don't need him to. And there's enough top tier heels and just really good wrestlers over on SmackDown where you can keep him busy in feuds between now and let's say the Royal Rumble, if they end up having him win that. You not only have Aleister Black now, which is great. You have Seth Rollins that you can run a feud with. You have Baron Corbin and there's others on that show as well. So I am kind of excited about what this means for Biggie long term, and I'm excited short term to get this feud. I just I see Black coming back, and I'm like, you know, you can't have him come back and lose. I mean, you could, but you should. I mean, I don't think they would. <laughs> right. So, so, so yeah. if you're going to have Biggie lose this feud to Aleister Black, you got to have in your mind what you're going to do to re rehabilitate him after that. And I hope that they do. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the third part of our main event, third and final part of our main event. We'll move over to Raw, and we will talk about the WWE Championship picture. So the show opened with MVP Bobby Lashley and the ladies 
in the ring again. MVP promoted heavily WWE's return to touring, just like Sonya Deville did on SmackDown. Drew McIntyre came out and demanded a one-on-one rematch, but something he doesn't deserve, by the way, considering he was the challenger at WrestleMania and lost. That was his rematch. Anyway, this segment was dragging, but Kofi Kingston saved it by giving it life. Came in, he told McIntyre to get his ass behind him in line because he never got a WWE Championship rematch himself after losing to Brock Lesnar. The promo cues seemed to be off for the entire segment. It was super strange. Adam Pearce then came out and set McIntyre versus Kingston for the number one contendership right at the start of Raw as the VIP lounge got built on the stage. The segment was weird, man. It was relative shit, actually. But I did like Kofi Kingston coming in, standing up to Drew, and showing confidence because it's always fun when you have a couple faces who have the same goal in mind and don't get along, and Kofi not backing down to Drew just because he's a bigger, stronger guy. That was a welcome sight, especially if you're going to push this guy into a number one contendership spot. Yeah, Kofi is... Kofi was the highlight of this. Kofi is the bigger face in this. You know, I I watch this and I think, man, this is like really going to hurt Drew continuing to give him these number one right. contender shots that he doesn't deserve at all. Like this is the kind of thing that he would do for Roman or John Cena. And they did it forever. Yeah. But I but I think part of that is specifically to get people behind Kofi. Because it is two faces here. And I think we all know that Drew doesn't actually really deserve this. And they're acknowledging that. So I think in the end, this is to help get more people behind Kofi for when he eventually wins and gets that spot. No, this is raw. So it's certainly possible they don't. And they decided the last minute to have Drew win, in which case that'll be a whole thing. But I'm not going to assume that's going to happen yet. I think this is largely a way for Kofi to garner more support, I think, as he goes through this, I guess, next week now. Now, before we get into the match that happened on Raw, I just want to make a quick case for Drew winning, uh, uh, you know, eventually the number one contendership and and being in this match. The case is this. I think Drew, the level of, what's the word I'm looking for? The the level of excitement that fans had or, or would have for Drew McIntyre's WWE champion, because it was an entire year, And because he wasn't overbooked necessarily, but he held the title for a really long time. He won it back too soon. He lost it too late. Uh, Just they they didn't necessarily handle it that well for a few months, a few months in the fall. I think the excitement for Money in the Bank may be greater for Bobby Lashley versus Kofi Kingston than it is Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre. So if you have Drew McIntyre win this number one contendership and have him lose again clean to Lashley, at Hell in a Cell, that would go a long way to potentially giving you a more exciting title match for fans at Money in the Bank. But I don't necessarily know that they're going to see it that way. That's a, that's a fair point. Y- you know, what is what is the bigger show? The bigger show is Money in the Bank because that's going to have the crowd. Um, right. I almost feel like they could do the reverse, though, and say, we'll do Kofi now and save Drew Bobby for Money in the Bank because we think Drew is the bigger guy. What I would do is... I would I'm, do not, Co- I'm not I would saying do I would do now. that. I'm saying I, I could Co- see... Go ahead. No, I'm saying, yeah, right. I think they would do Kofi now and then Drew at Money in the Bank. That's, well, that's what, what I, I think they're going to do. Like, yeah. I think that's clearly the plan. Yeah. I think what I would do if I wanted Drew to be the one to eventually take the title is I might even book Kofi for Hell in a Cell 
somehow screw him. We're talking about not doing a lot of rematches, but it's one thing at a pay-per-view with MVP getting involved or something like that. And allow Kofi to also have the match at Money in the Bank and save Drew for SummerSlam, which is really, it's going to be a stadium show. And you want Drew McIntyre to beat Bobby if, if it's going to happen, not just in front of fans, but in front of a stadium. They're supposed to go to whatever the hell that thing is uh, called Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. I mean, that, that I think that's 60,000 people capacity. I don't know that they'll sell it out. So there's a lot of different booking that they can do depending who they want to challenge and when and who they think is going to draw the best and get the fans the most excited. But I think Kofi may have started this journey as an in-betweener feud for Hell in a Cell. I wouldn't be surprised if they've come around and realized fans really like this guy. Like beyond yeah. Kofi mania, they want him to be a main eventer. They, they believe in Kofi Kingston. And I think they could get a little juice out of this, whether they delayed it a month for Money in the Bank or whether they created a two-month feud and allowed him to actually get a couple chances at Lashley. But we'll find out what happened. We'll talk, let's talk about what happened on Raw and maybe why we believe some of these things. So we got that McIntyre-Kingston one-on-one match. Kofi ate an Alabama slam into the ring apron, the hardest part of the ring. McIntyre countered a guillotine into a vertical suplex uh, in a really cool spot. And then he hit an awesome Mishinoku driver on Kingston. He taunted Lashley throughout the match and Lashley wound up at ringside with MVP sitting in chairs. McIntyre got a bunch of near falls after a spine buster and a sit-down powerbomb. Kofi dodged McIntyre into the post and followed with a frog splash for a near fall. McIntyre got distracted by Lashley and Kingston knocked him down outside into Lashley with a trust fall from the top rope. Kofi then hit an SOS for a 2.8, leading Lashley and MVP to simultaneously attack both men for a double DQ. Kofi hit trouble in paradise on Lashley, and that followed with a Claymore from McIntyre to Lashley to end the segment. This was probably rolling on at like a 3.5 star B type of match that had way more potential, but it's just another situation, as we talked about earlier, where WWE gives us actually a banger match on Raw but doesn't allow a finish. Same shit I was talking about earlier with the Fatal 4-Way. And then they did the double DQ here only to stretch it out and schedule a rematch next week where they're just promising, hey, this time you'll get a finish. Like that's literally WWE's booking. Hey, that thing you actually liked, we're going to give you a little bit too much of it, but next time (laughs) you'll actually get a resolution. Um, Yeah. So now I need, despite the match being great, I need to sit through it twice just to get one winner. I just truly believe they're void of ideas at this point. Right. And it was a fun match. Like Drew looked really, he seeing him with a guy like Kofi who could really bounce around, it was really fun. I mean, Drew was, Drew was flipping around a bit. He had that wicked Batista bomb onto Kofi. Uh, it was, it was, it was a really fun match between the two. And I am looking forward, I guess, to seeing them fight again. It's just annoying that we kind of have to be, treated like idiots to be like, actually, you don't get the finish. Now you get it next week. You didn't have to put yourself in this position. Again, a lot of times they just, you know, we're just talking about what do they do? Kofi versus Drew. I don't know. I don't know. But it's like, is it make Drew look bad? Does it make Drew look good? Like you didn't have to do it this way. And, and by the okay. way, really quick, yeah. if you want to do this finish, do a seven minute match and then give us this finish. Don't do an 18 or however long minute match where it's yeah. rolling on and you're getting, you're really anticipating the finish and then not give us a finish. Yeah. So I'm of two minds. Like it, it was, it was really fun. 
I just I don't trust Raw to give me the proper resolution ever to these things. Me neither. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like it was different on SmackDown with the Intercontinental Championship match because it was clearly setting up something different. We're doing it on Raw to set up the same thing happening again next week. So that's where the inherent problem comes between Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, and Pierce later told Lashley he'll be suspended for 90 days without pay if he or MVP interfere or even at ringside next week. By the way, why would you suspend someone 90 days for without pay? You would strip them of their title before you do that. Well, like that's, 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 that's fine. I mean, I liked that bit. I no, me too. Adam, I liked Adam Pierce laying down the law. I like when he's an actual authority figure with power and does things with that. Yeah, could he have done it differently? But it was nice to hear that. That gives me more confidence that there will be a resolution, but sometimes they do those and it's a swerve to do something else. So I don't know. But well, I did like Adam Pierce saying that. I did I did like hearing that. Generally, it's just someone else that interferes, uh, not, not the two people who are barred from interfering. That's why I'm like, if you say you're going to strip the title, because the guy's the champion, that makes more sense than just saying he'll be suspended for 90 days. You would never suspend your champion for 90 days. You would take the title off of him right. and suspend him. If anything, you, you would do both. But regardless, so yeah, this is either setting up next week a clean finish, presumably Kofi beating McIntyre via roll-up or crucifix or inside cradle or something like that, or someone unexpected helping Lashley and allowing Kofi to win because presumably he would prefer to fight Kofi than he would McIntyre. And I swear, I'm, t- I'm saying it right now, if it is T-Bar and or Mace, <laughs> I will I lose my say. mind. That's I will I lose my say. mind <laughs> next week. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, um, that's my that's I'm going. Let me let me put it this way. I'm going into Monday Night Raw next week expecting we get this match. And at the end, T-Bar and or Mace interfere with Lashley, allowing Kofi to win. That will be my expectation. If it's not that, I'll probably be OK with it. But, you know, despite all my criticisms of them doing the rematch in the first place. Considering Kofi's in the spot because he won thanks to two interference matches, it's probably how it's going to happen. He'll probably I mean, it's just it's they just they can't they can't. It's very rare. They they would never. I assume Vince would never think it's believable that Kofi could beat Drew McIntyre physically. So and that's the crazy thing. Because last week, even if you wanted McIntyre to help him in the main event last week, he could have easily hit trouble in paradise and beaten Orton clean given the fact that right. he's beaten Orton clean numerous other times when he was WWE champion on SmackDown in 2019. So yeah, uh, it's just, it was frustrating altogether. Um, but okay, that's the main event. Those are the three parts. Let's move on into everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw over the last week. Let's start with the women's division across both shows. We're going to go back to the way SmackDown opened, that parade of champions. Bailey interrupted it and said she didn't get enough credit for putting WWE on her back during the pandemic era. And by the way, she has a point there. She 100% did. She was the MVP of the pandemic era in WWE. Uh, Then she cut down all of the faces on stage, including the Mysterios. Her trashing Dominic and Ray was hysterical. Uh, Before saying Bianca Belair was a cheater and an imposter of a champion, she was also great because not only did she roast Dominic, but then like she goes, gets to Apollo Crews and Commander <laughs> Aziz and they're the heels and she shouts them out like, like almost, um, you ever see Half Baked, which is a great movie, by the way? No. What is with you? I'm pretty sure we've already talked about this specific movie. Okay. Well, one of the characters in there, he's quitting a fast food job, right? And he hates his job. 
So he's walking around and he's uh, looking at all the employees and he's telling them to F off. So he's like, F you, F you, F you. You're cool, like to this older dude. Oh, I've, I've seen that scene. I have okay. seen that. F you, I'm out. Then he throws a burger patty at a guy's face. So that's almost exactly what this was. It was barely like, your face is F you, F you. Apollo, you're cool. And then F you, Bianca, I'm out. I loved this. And it gave me immediate, um, you know, flashbacks to that. Anyway, Bailey demanded a rematch. Belair came down to grant it. And then this great segment, this fun segment that's happening. Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax come in and attack, which makes no sense whatsoever because they're not champions anymore and they're raw superstars. There's no um, brand to brand invitational going on. None of that shit. So before we move on to the match, do you want to say anything about any of the anything I just mentioned? No, other than it was fun. It's good to see Bailey getting that spot and she can she can lead a segment and then just, yes, the way it ended was. Oh, God, here we go. Again. Uh, yeah. All right. Here we go. again. Uh, but we did get a six woman tag match, Belair, Natalia and Tamina against Bailey, Jackson, Baszler. And I didn't mind the booking of the match. Like, it made sense. But everything else that preceded it with the attack was just ridiculous. Uh, Belair hit a spine buster on Baszler and then sold an injured knee after a flying crossbody. Tamina had a great hot tag with a power slam and a slingshot super kick with Natalia's help on Bailey. The finish came with a Bailey to belly taking out Belair outside and Baszler tapping Natalia in the Kurafuda clutch inside. This was a surprisingly fun match. While this succeeded, in my opinion, in pushing Belair and Bailey forward, which really was the goal, the fact that we're that we were stuck in the same tag team feud was absolutely maddening. There's three or four other women's tag teams, and they, the people in this one, aren't even SmackDown superstars, and they're earning, quote-unquote, another rematch by just attacking them and not really beating them. They beat them in a six-man, but that's not a, a tag team match. They announced a rematch for Raw, which we're going to talk about in a oh, moment. God. It was the third match between these teams for the title in 10 days, <laughs> and the fifth match in seven weeks between them. Um, and this is after, by the way, last Monday on Raw, you'll remember, Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville having a backstage segment with Naomi, Lana, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke saying to them, yeah, we understand you guys want a shot. We'll determine a number one contender next week. By the way, this week on Raw, that never happened. They never even followed up with it. I just thought, despite this match being good, this six-woman tag match, it was really terrible booking for the tag team division. The point of changing the titles was that we were going to get a refresh of the women's tag division and we were going to get new matchups and new teams and everybody involved. And instead, we're just running everything back to somebody else as the title now. Come on, please do something else. Well, before we get out, let's talk about the rematch. Uh, I was on Raw, Women's Tag Team Championship, Natalia and Tamina against Jax and Baszler. Baszler told Jax backstage that they were unstoppable until Reginald joined them and ruined their momentum. She forced Jax to leave him backstage for the rematch. This was, to my surprise, and actually a little bit of a pleasant surprise, the main event of Raw, which I, don't, I didn't think at any point in the show it was going to be. Baszler put Natalia in the sharpshooter for a second. Then the challengers worked on her injured shoulder. Reginald came down anyway a few minutes into the match. Tamina battled out of a double team, catching Baszler in a power slam. They did a slingshot super kick again. Uh, then Tamina jumped her cousin in a Fez press, but Jax dumped Tamina over the barricade. Natalia hit a discus clothesline, and Reginald distracted the referee. 
who missed a countered small package by Baszler. She was, of course, pissed, screamed at Reginald to get out, and he left kind of sulking with his head down, walking up the ramp. As he was doing that, and he crossed like the threshold from the ramp to the main stage, fire exploded, huge pyro on the stage, blinding him a second time, and Natalia was able to roll up Baszler with an inside cradle. Baszler jumped out of the ring, grabbed Reginald by like the lapels of his jacket, screamed at him, and challenged him next week as Raw went off the air. So this was really interesting, right? Because I actually personally thought the match was pretty good, and it was well-placed in the main event. It was a title match. Are the women the four biggest names? No, but the third hour of Raw doesn't get really high ratings. So you're going to put a title storyline in the main event and move it forward with an angle for next week. You're pretty much going to win me over, given the circumstances. So the only thing I really hated about it was that for the second week in a row, the champions can't get a clean win without help from Alexa Bliss, demon fire goddess, or whatever you want to call her now. It's clearly Bliss taunting Baszler and screwing with her. And I'm sure next week, Bliss is going to interfere with the Reggie match and Reggie's going to beat Baszler or something like that. I don't mind this to break up Baszler and Jax. I just feel like it could be handled a little bit better. Yeah, it's too convoluted. And it's just like everything with Shayna and Nia just can't just happen. Like it's impossible for them to ever really lose. So we just have to drag things out. We have to find other excuses. We have to involve Reginald and everything. I generally like Reginald and I'm actually look forward to him wrestling and how that goes. But man, just we don't need to keep doing this. Have Reginald fight Ruby Riot or something like that. Like just send we have again, there's so many talented women on this roster and tag teams that they built up. They've that they've just abandoned since WrestleMania, pretty much. It's been the same couple of people. So I don't know. We'll, we'll run it again next week, I guess. <laughs> well no. Let's hope let's hope this is the end. Um and I, I actually do have belief this is the end, just based on the way that it's now Baszler and Jax with Reginald in the middle. They do, they have no case at all at, in any way for another tag team title match. Really what WWE needs to be doing is adding to the women's tag team division. They need to call up Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro from NXT and or create another team of women from NXT and bring them up to the main roster and put four women's tag teams on the brands plus the champions that gives you five teams And that is a totally fine rotation of storylines. The women's tag team champions do not need to be on Raw and SmackDown every week. They can just be on the show where they are feuding with the other tag team for their upcoming pay-per-view storyline. And that allows the women in the other show to wrestle matches, whether it's singles matches, whether it's them buying to become the next number one contenders, whatever the case. We don't need the women's tag team champions on every single show, even though I think some people don't like the titles. They've done more good than harm. Yeah. But there are occasions where they've done harm and taking single stars like Jackson Baszler, who should have been Asuka's challengers for the Raw Women's Championship over the last six months and removing them from that picture entirely, that was harm done to the Raw Women's title because of this title existing. But that's what they need to do. They need to enhance this division, not just have repeat matches and have them on every single show. Yeah, just you you don't need just involve other people. We don't need to see the same matches. And briefly, before we move on, we'll note that Alexa Bliss was not on the show. Reason for that, her pig, Larry Steve, uh, was really sick. And we learned just before coming on the air today, 
he unfortunately died. I think he was four years old. Really big uh, pig, uh, as they tend to be. Um, you know, he was domesticated. He was her pet. It was a big deal. I think it was something that they did on the Total Diva show. I don't really remember, but she loved him and she always talked about him. When yeah, I interviewed cool. her, we talked about Larry Steve. Uh, so really sorry to hear that, you know, anyone losing a pet's bad and, and she really seemed to love him. So that really sucked, unfortunately. Uh, so let's stay with the women. And by the way, credit to WWE, because after those two or three weeks where I was really shitting on them for barely giving the women time in the ring, they've kind of corrected that. And they've given women's wrestling a lot more time, especially on Raw. Recently, SmackDown still needs to step it up a bit. But we had a lot more women's stuff happen on Raw. Rhea Ripley taunted Charlotte Flair earlier in the show backstage before her scheduled match with Asuka. And trust me, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Charlotte said that Ripley's just jealous of her. Nikki Cross then stepped up and challenged one of them to fight. Charlotte said she would beat her in two minutes and she wasn't worth her time, then challenged Ripley to actually go ahead and do it. And Ripley accepted. So we got Ripley against Cross. And they literally had them fight with two minutes on a beat the clock, not five, not 10, two minutes on a beat the clock challenge. It was a good idea to get Ripley in a match against someone she could beat without consequence. You and I have been talking about this for weeks. Why isn't she fighting Mandy Rose? Why isn't she fighting Naomi? Why are they not putting her over these women in singles competition? So it was good that she got to get cross. I loved it, but I hated that the concept of the match is that Nikki is thought so little of that Ripley could go into it with a legitimate goal of beating her inside of two minutes. Like Nikki couldn't otherwise compete if there wasn't a two minute clock on the match. So they should be building the women in the singles division right. to challenge for the title. So we don't get Ripley, Flair and Asuka every week, despite us liking Ripley, Flair and Asuka. Ultimately, Cross actually won. So it wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been if Ripley beat her inside of two minutes. But Ripley looked like an idiot not knowing how time works and that it was counting down. And Nikki was celebrating like she just won a title by surviving two minutes with a woman that she should actually be believing in herself enough that she could challenge her for the title. So the small positive is that Ripley wrestled someone other than Oscar or Flair. But everything else about it was largely a negative because you're taking Nikki Cross, who looks, by the way, in great shape. She's lost some weight. She seems to be moving really well in the ring. She was running around great. Like, I'm just saying she's in great shape. I'm not saying like a commentary on her physical, you know, features or anything like that. But she, she's looking great and she's rejuvenated and she's not stuck with the Alexa Bliss gimmicks anymore. And you're like, oh, great. We're going to get Nikki Cross back. Everyone loves Nikki Cross. And they throw her in a two minute countdown match. So it's not a 0, 0.0. It's not an I'm bored, brother. I don't really know. Here, I got one. This is what it is. It's bullshit, yeah, it's bullshit. There you go. <laughs> So, like, was there, unless I missed it, did Ripley say in the promo, like, Nikki, you're a joke. I could beat you in two minutes. And that's why they yes, did two no. minutes. So, okay. So, I, I Cross make walks sure up. Yes. Cross walks up. She's like, hey, let's fight. Yeah. And Charlotte's like, look, I already got a match and I wouldn't waste my time on you anyway because I'd beat you in two minutes and you're not worth it. And then she's like, well, I want to fight. And Ripley's like, and Charlotte's like, hey, hey, Rhea, why don't you fight her if you're so sure that you can yeah. do everything I, I can do? And she goes, okay. And then they made it a two minute. Okay, but but okay, but they didn't specifically say two minutes. They did. Yes, Charlotte did. Charlotte, Charlotte said so I you... could beat. Charlotte said I could beat you in two minutes. Okay, okay. I, I missed that yeah. line. That's what I was waiting for. So why they did the two instead of a five? It was reasoned. It was reasoned within yes, the but, the context of the storytelling. It was right. just 
fucking stupid. Also, that's generally not how a beat the clock challenge works, right? Isn't it you two people have matches and you see who yes. wins quicker? Generally, yes. Um, and then like whoever wins in the quickest usually is like a number one contender or gets some advantage. Yeah, like, like the that. way, yeah. yeah, the way to tell the story is Rhea's beating the crap out of Nikki for a minute coming up on two minutes and Nikki keeps kicking out and Rhea can't finish her. And then the time runs out and Rhea's frustrated and Nikki can celebrate because she right. survived it. It's not Rhea doesn't take this seriously and then the time runs out because then she looks like an idiot. Like there was a way to do this to make everybody look good and they chose not to do it. <laughs> That's ah. exactly right. That's exactly right. Nothing else to say other than like, I get what they were going for. Are you trying to say that this is bullcrap? This is bullcrap. This is bullcrap! All right, so then we got Asuka, who gave us that incredible sound drop, against Charlotte Flair in a singles match, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, this was the third one-on-one match between the two in six weeks, not counting, obviously, the Backlash triple threat, where they also wrestled. And this was a direct rematch from last week. Flair escaped an armbar and caught a hip attack. Asuka avoided a moonsault and hit a German suplex plus a ton of other offense for near falls. Asuka avoided another moonsault, so Charlotte, after landing, then came back with a standing moonsault in succession, which was really cool. Uh, Asuka then countered the figure four, and Cher countered the Oscar lock, locking her up by folding her over, basically, uh, and pinning the shoulders down for the win. It's the way that everyone beats Shayna Baszler when she has them in the Kurafuda clutch. So after last week's booking, where if Flair beat Asuka last week, she would become number one contender. And Asuka got the surprise win. So then Flair wasn't the number one contender. Flair gets the win this week, as you would expect in a rematch, 50-50 booking. It was good wrestling. But then they just announced that Flair is now the number one contender and gets Ripley at Hell in a Cell. (laughs) But the number one contendership was not on the line in this match, where last week Sonya said, hey, Flair, you go out, you beat Asuka, I'll make you number one contender. She lost. Now it's not even on the line. She wins. And she's the number one contender with no stipulation. This makes no sense. I hate rematches, but how would they not do a rubber match when they can both say, hey, look, it's one-on-one over the last two weeks. Let's next week run it back a third and final time. And the winner is the number one contender. I don't want another rematch, but in storyline, that would at least make sense. This did not. Yeah, exactly. We would get another rematch that we don't want, and maybe we'd probably complain about that, but at least it would make sense, I guess. Between the two, if we gotta if we gotta choose between what makes sense uh and in and, and rematches, I guess we're gonna do what makes sense. All right. Let's move on to some stuff I really liked. Uh Riddle against Xavier Woods. They did an Ooh. incredible move in this match where Woods used Riddle's momentum to lift him with just two hands into a vertical suplex. Riddle did a hurricanrana over the ropes and Woods answered with a fireman's carry slam onto the ring apron, the hardest part of the ring. Uh, Woods blocked a broton with his knees and did a great missile drop kick. He countered Bro Derek twice and hit a gut check for another near fall. Riddle countered a step through tornado DDT with a German release suplex over the ropes from the second rope where Woods, I mean, he landed on his head, but he nearly broke his neck. Woods then dodged a floating Bro and Riddle surprisingly caught him out of nowhere with an RKO for the win. Then Riddle celebrated just like Orton Wood posing in the ropes. This match rocked. Woods was great. Riddle was great. It was top tier wrestling. Tremendous storytelling. 
and a really, really strong piece of booking. This was, in a three-hour Raw, the best segment. Woods, Riddle. Yeah, this match was awesome. There, there was there were moves in here I haven't really seen before or not seen in a while. Xavier Woods did a heck of a lot more than I thought he could. And Riddle, at the end of this match, looked like he he was like fired up and like like uh, ain't, like he looked serious for the first time in a long time. Like he got a fight that he did not expect, and that was there was an edge to him there that I don't think we've seen ever or in a long time. So that was really cool to see as well. So this was an awesome segment. Blew, blew away any expectations I had. Uh, very, very cool stuff from, from both of these guys. Such good shit. This match straight up fucked. Like, I'm telling you, Riddle is going to be over like Rover when the crowds are back in July. Give him like a catchphrase or just something for them to hook onto. I mean, they already have bro, so they'll probably just champ bro. But WWE is going to be able to print money with this guy. He really is the total package and he can even play heel. I've saw him do that previously on the Indies. He has not missed on a single match that he's had or a single feud that he's had since joining the main roster, even if maybe you didn't like, and I know you personally, Chris, did not like some of the backstage things he's done on occasion. But in ring, in feud-wise, he has been batting a 1,000. I am all in on Riddle. Matt Riddle has it. And that is not to discredit Woods, who was fantastic in this match. It's the best singles match that Woods has had maybe in years. This was just great all around. And I'm as high, pun intended, on Riddle as I ever have been. And that's including me being extremely high on him throughout his entire NXT tenure. Yeah, no, he he's been a lot better for the last couple of months when his 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 stoner gimmick kind of turned into curious child gimmick and the ring in-ring stuff's been great. RK Bro has been great. This New Day stuff has been great. This is another example. We had two face versus face matches on Raw. And yeah. they're and they were both really good and they were both fresh matchups and stuff we hadn't normally gotten to see. So like you can do these kinds of things and it's really interesting. So this is great. Good and stuff. And to give Raw and to give Raw a shred of credit here, uh, you know, we talked about SmackDown succeeding doing mid-card type of feuds without involving titles. They are formulating a really nice little mid-card tweener team versus face team feud, not at all revolving around the Raw tag team titles. Yep. And they deserve a lot of credit because it's it's really entertaining. It really is. Uh on that note, let's talk about something similar that happened on SmackDown. We had King Corbin against Shinsuke Nakamura in a singles match. Corbin cut a promo on Nakamura saying that he was disrespecting the title of King by stealing his crown and parading around in it, doing errands. I don't know. Did you see the social media videos of Nakamura like wearing the crown like throughout his normal life all week? I did not, but that's a great idea. He was like making like eggs and toast at home and driving in his convertible. That's good. That's They were like playing Nakamura's music while he was wearing the crown. It was all really funny. Uh, When he called out Nakamura for the match, suddenly... Out of nowhere, to my pure, true delight, Rick Boogs comes out with an electric guitar, introduces himself, and absolutely shreds on the guitar playing Nakamura to the ring. I was so hyped (laughs) to see Rick Boogs on the main roster in a storyline besides the old Spice deal that he was doing on Raw around WrestleMania time. I have been waiting for this guy to get on TV in a major way for so long, 
for years at this point, ever since he debuted in NXT as the air guitar guy. And you're like, Eric Bugenhagen, that name is weird as hell. (laughs) But aside from that, he looks like a prototypical Vince McMahon wrestler. The guy has oodles of charisma. I can't just believe I use the word oodles to describe something, but he has charisma pouring out of every crevice and orifice in his body. And he actually has, he's extremely strong, like literally like strength, like lifting strength. And he plays guitar. So he's like Elias, but really, really, really good. And you saw him during the pandemic era when they were in the PC as the guy who was the most animated of all of the the trainees that was in the crowd. You saw him again a couple times on NXT and you saw him in the old Spice thing. But I feel like most people don't even know how great this guy is. He has his own YouTube channel. Go check it out. I'm a huge Rick Boogs mark. And to see him on SmackDown next to Shinsuke Nakamura, to me was just fantastic. Corbin dodged a Kinshasa. Nakamura kicked out of a belly back suplex at 2.9. And then a deep six, he kicked out of that as well. Boog started riffing on the guitar after that. And Nakamura countered end of days into a small package for the win. It was annoying, I think, a little bit that Shinsuke needed a distraction to beat freaking Baron Corbin. But aside from that, it did help show that Boogs is with him. He's impactful. They're working together. Nakamura looked incredible. He was dancing and posing while Boogs was playing his theme after the match. Uh, dude, I loved, I wish I had like 100.100 because I don't have that. I have 0.0. This was great. I loved every minute of it. I got to say. So I had seen him, I think, once before. It must have been in NXT or something. But I just remembered that this guy just had a lot of charisma. And the segment was awesome. He killed it on the guitar. That got me fired up to to hear an electric guitar version of Shinsuke's music, just period. And then to see him doing it and the bit of a promo that he cut. I don't know if this guy can wrestle at all. But I, I have no idea. <laughs> I am extremely sports yeah. entertained when he is on my television and the energy he puts off comes through the screen and you get excited when you see this guy because he's excited and you're like, I got to be excited because he's clearly into what's going on here. Such a breath of fresh air on in a company that so often has sarcasm is like 75 percent of the promos right. uh, to, to have a guy who's just hyped, but not hyped in a way that's like. Mojo Raleigh where like hype is the brand, just a guy who's naturally like excited and doing fun things and he's out there and he's energetic and he's moving. There's a lot of stuff going on. I can't wait to see. I hope we see Rick Boogs on this week's SmackDown. I I, I want to see him again. I think he's like, if you took the best of Mojo Raleigh and the best of Elias and combined him into one person. Yeah. And I don't look, I don't, I don't know that Rick Boogs is going to ever be a WWE champion. Right. I do think if he was in WWE in the 80s, he would easily have been. <laughs> but but I think this is a guy who is a mid-card champion, who's a guy who's constantly in the mid-card. He's part of a really exciting tag team. You want to turn him heel one day and have him play with Elias, you can do it. He just there's so much you can do, but you do bring up the wrestling thing. And you're right about that because basically Boogs was a Florida tour. So NXT would run tours in small cities in Florida to train people, give them opportunity to wrestle in front of crowds, you know, little house shows and kind of work them up. And Boogs really never, he did some of that a little bit, but he really would have been getting the opportunity to do it last year. And because of the pandemic and they weren't able to run those shows, he just was stuck doing nothing. They closed down the performance center for a long period of time. No one was training. 
They eventually reopened it. And I guess he was probably in there with them reopening it, um, you know, doing a little bit of work, but he wasn't able to actually work out the wrestling. All we've ever seen, I think, is two matches of him on NXT television. And I don't even remember whether he was a really good wrestler or a mediocre wrestler or whatever the case. But I feel like the wrestling can always be learned. Like even someone like John Cena, he was always okay. And then later in his career, he really, really picked it up. You can hide mediocre wrestling in a lot of other... Elias is not a very good wrestler. He's actually a very boring wrestler. But you can hide it because he's so good in so many other things. Boogs is Elias, but with energy and just excitement. And look, I'm putting over this guy strong, I know. And some of you may be, but Silver King, why are you so obsessed with Rick Boogs? Just because it's different and yes. it's exciting. Yes. And it's something that was on my TV. I did not expect to happen in a feud that I was actually excited already about the Nakamura King Corbin feud. Now I'm really freaking excited about it. And I did think it was leading us to King of the Ring. I don't really think that anymore. I think we're probably just getting a feud over the crown. I think I was, but, right, about, I think I was right about that. Yeah, I think you were. <laughs> but I, but I, I think the positive is if Nakamura wins, then maybe Corbin's no longer King Corbin. So it allows him to move on. So there's just so many potential positives to this that yes, folks, I'm getting excited over a right now lower mid-card feud on SmackDown. Sue me. Yeah, no, uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. It was, it was one debut, but it, it one debut, but it was fun. And, and it, it was anytime fun. anything up there is fun, I want to see more of it. And two debuts on one SmackDown. You know, it was a re-debut for Aleister Black, but that's fun. Like it's, it's fun seeing different people. It's great. Uh, okay, moving back to Raw, we had Cedric Alexander against Shelton Benjamin in a singles match. Credit to WWE here again, I have to say. They ran a video package before the match. Yes. Both of them got their full entrances. I know these are very, very basic things, but they weren't doing it with them. Uh, and Cedric got a passionate promo saying he's in his prime, quote unquote, and Benjamin is washed up near the end of his career. They're really leaning into the prime nickname. They tried to sell it all match which I love, obviously. It's a great nickname. Deion Sanders, of course, is prime. He always has been. Uh, there were a bunch of great counters, as one would expect in a match with these two. Alexander blocked the T-bone in the ropes and got a lot of offense before taunting Benjamin. Shelton absolutely leveled him with a huge lariat and looked ready to put him away when Alexander raked his eyes and hit the neuralizer for the win. This was one step after another in the right direction all segment long. Both guys got featured. They had a nice long match. They treated the rivalry seriously. Alexander seems to have a new gimmick. He got promo time and he got a big win. Through the first two hours of Raw, I did like eventually Riddle and Woods more. But through the first two hours of the show, this was my favorite segment. Yeah, just give us a reason to care about what we're watching on the screen. And that's what they did. They The promo was good. They also did a promo, I think, before before Riddle Woods or at some point earlier in Raw, they did kind of a recap of the New Day RK Bro stuff to set up the match. This set up, okay, here's why Cedric and, 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 and uh, Sheldon are having a feud. Then they come out and cut the promo. And it's like, okay, you set the table. You gave me a reason to care. Now I'm invested. Now we have this match. It's basic stuff. Like you go back and watch wrestling in like the 90s or 80s. Like how, how often does it, it start off with someone just walking out and cutting a promo and just like, setting the table, explaining why this matters to me. And then we have this match. Like, it's just basic stuff. You got to tell me why this matters as opposed to just starting a match and commentary says something and off we go. Like, you got to give us a reason to be invested. And this did a great, a perfect job of doing that. And it's just WWE, like using the talent on their roster. Alexander 
and or Benjamin do not need to have matches every week. I'm not saying against each other. I'm saying against anyone. But they should have a couple matches a month. Rotate them in and out. You should see Angel Garza one week and not the next. That's what they did. We didn't see Angel Garza this week. You saw him last week. Totally fine. He's a low carter. You don't need to see him every week. But you need to see him sometimes, right? Like, where the hell's Jeff Hardy? We Jinder debuted. Where the hell's Jinder? Like, he just disappeared again. So, you know, you got to weave it in. Some weeks you get one storyline. Another week you get another storyline. Yes, it's a three-hour show. I know you want to focus on your really, really big names. And they have every right to do that. But everyone else needs to be rotational. You got to feature these people and create storylines of interest for them. Or just have the champions, the Bobby Lashleys, the Rhea Ripleys, beat some of these guys in matches. There's no harm in doing a Bobby Lashley-Shelton Benjamin match. It doesn't need to be long, six minutes. You have Lashley when you move on. These are things you can do. Bobby Lashley, Jinder Mahal, whatever the case might be. So I was excited to see them on screen and to see them get behind Alexander. And I do think it's a good gimmick. Prime Alexander's a really good, I don't know if they're going to use it as his name, but if they did and they took away Cedric, I'd be totally fine with it. That's a great name. Uh, so look, uh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm all in on Cedric Alexander. I've been all in on Cedric Alexander. By the way, I should note, and Chris, this is something we've never talked about. He has the greatest entrance theme in WWE. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that right now, but it's good. Because you haven't heard the entire entrance theme. And I will go ahead and make sure I cut that for next week's show. Or whenever we see Cedric Alexander next, I'll cut it and I'll play it for you. It is the it is the best entrance theme in WWE. I'll, I'll look it up on YouTube, too. I yeah. mean, I'm partial to Romans right now, but but um, yeah, I, I, it, the bits that I've heard, it's, it's good. It's certainly... It's in the there's a there's a tier. beginning to it that they cut off. So just like with like okay. Finn Balor's theme and some of the other ones, they cut off the beginning of Cedric's theme, which is like a drawn out intro to kind of like get you really into it. Then the beat drops the entire theme, which is available on YouTube um, and probably Spotify and other places, too. It is my number one favorite. But anyway, I digress. Let's get back to wrestling. Uh, we had Sheamus and Umberto Carrillo in a non-title match again. Carrillo hit a tope suicida and a corkscrew back elbow for a near fall. Sheamus then countered a hurricanrana by falling on Creo, folding him up, and blatantly pulling on the tights, cheating for the win. Then he attacked Creo after the match and locked in the cloverleaf until Ricochet flew in with a missile dropkick. Both hit moonsault, and Ricochet did a springboard 450. Look, it's just, it, this was good. It was time for Sheamus to actually defend the title against Creo, so I hope we get that soon, maybe at Hell in a Cell or maybe on Raw. Uh, but Creo kind of needs to, it's, it's good. I'm glad he's on TV. I'm glad he's getting opportunities. They do need to move on a little bit. It is interesting that Ricochet's here when it looked like Mansoor was going to be the second guy and maybe Mansoor got hurt and now he's not available. I'm not sure what's happening there. All in all, I think this is, these are a bunch of pretty solid developments in the mid-card picture. I just like that other guys are finally being used and elevated. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big Carrillo guy, but this feels like we're setting up for maybe a triple threat. For the U.S. title at some point, um, it'd be. A good I, I think. Match. I think. It'd be exciting. Yeah, Sheamus being in this role, I think, does definitely elevate the people he's in the ring with, which is good. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of the same stuff we've been getting, but we'll see. Kind of maybe moving forward, if this means more for for Hell in a Cell. Let's keep rolling on here. Moving back over to SmackDown, Dominic Mysterio fought Robert Roode. Rude, who Dominic pinned to win the titles, cut a promo about Dominic not belonging in WWE. Dolph Ziggler tried to interfere, but Ray threw his foot into the steel steps. Rude found the ring post, and Dominic won with a 619 and a frog splash. 
I was actually in the midst of writing a note on this match about it's ridiculous that Dominic never loses and he <laughs> always beats all these veterans, given he's a total neophyte. But before I actually like said all those things on air, I actually wanted to research and make sure that I was right about that, right? So I checked. He's only 12 and 13 in non-battle royal matches so far in WWE. So that's like shockingly even and shockingly well-booked. So even though he's beating Rude, which you're like, okay, Robert Rude, veteran, former, I think, Impact World Champion. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong there. I think he's, he was, yeah. He's losing to like 23, 24-year-old Dominic Mysterio, really. Uh, but to be fair, they're really not overbooking Dominic like as much as I thought they were. He lost a lot of matches. Now, to, to be fair, to my criticism, he has won three straight singles matches, but three in a row isn't anything crazy. You can go on a run. Anyway, I was glad he won here because I just hope this ends this damn feud so the Mysterios can move on to another team. I'm just getting sick of seeing rematches every single time there's a title change. Yes, the title's changed. Now the champions need to move on. They've beaten these guys both individually. I have a feeling that's not what's going to happen. But look, I love Dolph Ziggler and Robert Root as a team. I love the Mysterios as a team. It's entertaining, but it is monotonous. Yeah, I, I'd like to see Chad Gable and, and, um, and Otis, Otis back yeah, in where this they picture go? here. We haven't really seen the Street Profits for a couple of weeks. I know they got the thing coming up next week. And we got um, Usos back now. I mean, you yeah, know. so you could do some more things. But again, with this this specific match, again, a promo sets the table, gives us a reason to be invested, tells us clearly who's the good guy and the bad guy and why. And then off we go and you get a result and you have a feeling like just like with the Cedric thing, like. That's how we do it. I'm fans of cutting. I'm a fan of cutting promos before every match and not promo pre-tape backstage picture in picture like that. Not the same thing. Like I want to see someone looking somebody in the eye, cutting a promo, telling them they're worthless. They don't deserve to be here. And then we fight over it like that's so much better than the way they have often done in the past. So I hope this past weekend of wrestling was a sign that we might get more in ring pre-match promos because I think it's 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 a big positive. It, it, it just it tells helps you tell the story. It is. Hey, remember when WWE was doing those pre-taped um, selfie promos with like yeah. stupid graphics and shit? Yeah. Oh my god, that was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> that was ridiculous. But yeah, yeah honestly, they, honestly, I'll say this: I like them better than the picture-in-picture picture in the lower right corner box cutting a promo saying, this is why I'm going to win them. Oh, I didn't. I No. These are, I like the selfie ones more than that because a lot of times there was, just, there, was en- there was energy in them at least, so that was something. I mean, there was energy in them, but they were so corny and they I mean, were when so... You, when, you put the, when you put the word art and the graphics on That's there, what then, I'm saying. Then it got really weird. It wasn't and, like that at the beginning. But then it's also never spontaneous because it's like, oh, this was taped, so yes. we had the time yes. to put wor- word art and graphics around it and like... The Uso penitentiary with the the chain coming down, like the gate coming down, all that shit was just terrible. Uh, All right. Anyway, one more match and then we'll move on. AJ Styles fought Jackson Riker on Raw. Neither Omas nor Elias were at ringside, despite there being no reason for them not to be at ringside. Elias attacked Styles outside. Riker hit a swinging slam for the win over a former IWGP and WWE champion. It was ridiculous. Uh, The post-match, so the match sucked. I hated everything about it. The post-match, I got to say, was kind of incredible. <laughs> Elias jumped over the timekeeper's area and was like hiding as Omos like ran. He actually ran down the ramp and looked over into the timekeeper's area with a shot, a shot next to Elias pointing upwards at Omos. Like he was an absolute monster. 
He grabs Elias out of there, uh, like throws him over. Elias runs like a chicken shit up the ramp. He falls on himself, trips. And then Omos runs him down and shoulder checks him into the set, just like breaking a big screen. The segment went from an F to an A plus in about 30 (laughs) seconds for me. I know it's an in-between feud. There's so many other better challengers than Elias and Riker. Give me Lucha House Party. Give me any of these other teams. But I will say the Omos Elias shit legitimately made me laugh out loud. I loved that. Yeah, it, I, you, you didn't need to have Riker beat AJ Styles for it to happen. But yeah, AJ and Omos are incredibly fun and everything they should be pretty much involved in right now should be fun. And that's what you got at the end of the segment. So they, they did turn it into something, which is fun. And that's good because I like watching them. A couple more things before we get out of here. WWE again aired one old and one new Eva Marie vignette. They repeated the photo shoot one early in the show and then late in the show showed her working out and talking about becoming an advocate for others who trains people all around the world. This was actually by far, in my opinion, the best of the four vignettes to this point. She looked really good, both in terms of like, that's the most action I've had all year. But also from a presentation standpoint of, hey, Eva Marie looks like she could wrestle. Even though I don't think she's going to, I think she's going to be a manager advocate. The presentation of her was like, oh, yeah, there's something there. Yeah, I don't know what to make of this because I don't know if uh, if she's going to be heel or face or whatever. It kind of was just down the middle. So, you know, it's been a few weeks of this. I feel like at some point here we got to get some movement. We can't drag this on for too long because then uh, I guess unless she's going to be heel. But but if you drag it off for too long, you kind of lose the momentum and people kind of get sick of it before it happens. So I hope. I hope we get some movement too long before not too long. Or same goes with Alexa Bliss. Obviously, she had something going on, but it's been a lot of building something with nothing coming. I do promise you one thing. Even if she is booked as a face in front of crowds, she will be booed like a heel. Right. People absolutely hate Eva Marie. Uh, and lastly, Braun Strowman cut a corny ass taped promo about WWE's return to touring. They finally got this guy's clout back after all the bullshit they've dragged him through. In that triple threat match at Backlash, he legitimately looked like a badass. I believe it was the best match of his entire career. And they just flushed it right down the toilet again with all of that Strowman Express garbage. Zero point zero. And then Damian Priest, John Morrison... And Jeff Hardy. Hey, look, Jeff Hardy's on TV. All cut the same similar type of promo. None of them were nearly as bad. But then you also had Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke cut a terribly scripted one that was just absolutely pathetic. So in a three-hour Raw, in addition to mentioning it on the opening promo, on commentary, adding uh, airing advertisements for it, they had one, two, three, four, five different taped promos of talent telling people, hey, we're going to be welcoming fans back on July 16th. We'll talk about fans coming back to wrap up the show in a minute. But Chris, these promos were just, again, the middle ones were okay. They weren't good. These were horrendous. Yeah, I don't know who is suddenly deciding to go to a show because they saw a terribly scripted promo get delivered about it. I get the showing the headlines about it. I get talking about it. 
it's just a kind of a weird corny way to do it. I don't want to harp on it too much because it's kind of whatever, but uh, it, it is very cringeworthy. I, I think the way you do it is you do a, they, they have the best, WWE is the best video team in, in the, in the world. Maybe you got to like, just give me like a commercial that shows me what it's like to be in the crowd and not just the typical crowd shots, people cheering, like people talking about what a, what it meant to be in the building when something happened. I remember that feeling. Have a have a wrestler saying, I I remember with the feeling in the crowd when I won the championship when this happened. Like draw some emotion out of that. And I know right. that video team could do that. Like that's the way you get people excited for this. Not cutting a two-minute promo being like, hey, we're coming. Mandy and Dana Brooke are coming. All of a sudden I'm gonna sign up to buy a ticket. Like, come on. Like put put some effort into this. No, you're right. Why not show clips of John Morrison doing this parkour shit. And I'm so excited. We're going back out on the road. I can't wait to do this in front of you guys. Right? Or show clips of Damian Priest and Bad Bunny. You guys were incredible at WrestleMania. You helped me get this incredible moment in my career. My first WrestleMania match and first big win. I cannot wait to perform for you guys in July. Like, that's how you promote it. Not the Strowman Express is going <laughs> to run through a city near you and Mandy and Dana, we can't wait to flex for you when we come to a town near you. That's dog shit. Like, yes, promote your product. Show awesome, entertaining clips of these superstars entertaining fans and have them do a, a five-second voiceover of, you know, July 16th. We're going to be in Fort Worth, Texas. We're touring starting this summer, coming to a town near. I can't wait to see you guys. You guys make my job exciting. Allow them to talk like normal human beings every time you hear a wrestler in an interview and they're asked, and I've done it. I've asked like three of them. How much do you guys miss the crowds? They talk like normal human beings. And you're like, man, I can't imagine being a performer and not having fans there. Sh that show, makes show, me show want to go see the show yeah. more than this bullshit. Show a clip of Bianca crying on the stage at WrestleMania yes. when you see the crowd for the first time. When, like, when Don't you want to be there, there for moments like these? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so aside from that garbage, <laughs> let's actually talk about the uh, the concept here, what's actually happening. WWE is having fans return. They're, they're going to start touring again on Friday, July 16th, which just so happens to be the Silver King's birthday. So and, and a little just so happens to be my uh, area of, of my, my home. They love they love the, they did it for the wrestling podcast. Clearly, they did it for the getting over community. You don't live in Fort Worth, do you? No, but it's 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 forty five minutes away. Oh, Dallas, okay. I didn't Fort realize Worth it was area. that close. Yeah, DFW, You're in Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth. Right? Yeah, I'm in okay. Dallas. Oh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Obviously, yeah. Of course, <laughs> that makes sense. I, when I think of Dallas now, what's the other? Um, where's the Cowboy Stadium located? Arlington, which so is I right think, in which is right in between both of them. Even though I think of even though I know it's DFW, the airport, Dallas, Fort Worth. Whenever I think of like the other city near Dallas now, I think of Arlington just because of sports. Like I never yeah. really think of Fort Worth. So that is interesting. But yes, clearly they're doing this uh, exactly for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, but it is a nice little birthday gift for me. I did think that because they've been running in Florida that they might come to Miami. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go see Money in the Bank on my birthday weekend or something like that. And of course, that is not what ha what's happening. I have to watch Chris have all the fun. Over in Texas, we're not yet sure whether he's going, but we may get him there. Yeah, there's, anyway. college, there's college football stuff going on. I'm not yet sure if I'll be able to go and I've got to figure that out. Right, media days and stuff like that. Yeah, it's the timing is not ideal, I think, from, uh, from your work standpoint. But nevertheless, WWE is returning uh, July 16th. They're, they've already announced three locations 
They're doing Fort Worth on the 16th for SmackDown. They are doing, ah, crap, I should have this in front of me. Uh, somewhere nearby in Texas, maybe you can pull it up while I ramble here and, and stretch, uh, for Money in the Bank. And then on Monday, I think they're doing Dallas on Monday for Raw. Do you, did you happen to yeah, pull it up? Yeah, Raw is, I, I know Raw is in Dallas because they said it. Uh, I'm going to pull up the show here. It's going to be uh, to do Fort Worth as well. It's going to be the same arena, Fort Worth. It's a it's a brand new arena that opened like a year or two ago in Fort Worth. Um, oh, so they're doing SmackDown and Money in the Bank. SmackDown the and arena? Money in the Bank. I get looks like will be in the same building. Interesting. I did, I did not. Re- well, they must really believe in that market to sell out three shows within what an hour, uh, 45 minutes of each other. Yeah. Or to maybe not sell out. And I think they're going down to I think they're going down to Houston and whatnot at right after that. So AEW is actually going to be in Texas at the same time too. Will be AEW will be touring here too. So there's going to be a lot of wrestling in Texas in July, and I really hope I'm able to get to some of it. Texas is so weird because obviously it's a big state, like you know that. But when you hear the big cities, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, you assume they're not that far away from each other. But <laughs> some of them are really freaking far. Yeah, like. I don't know. Houston's Houston's four hours away from from Dallas. That's the equivalent in Florida of like Fort Lauderdale and Gainesville, which is where the Florida Gators play. Like, and Florida is a long state, but not a thick state like Texas is. Texas is just absolutely massive where Houston can be that far away. San Antonio can be really far away. They're completely different markets too. It's not like, oh, we're going to hit Texas or we're going to hit Houston. No, you got to hit Houston and you got to hit Dallas because they're two of the five biggest cities in the country. Right. It's not like doing like, Miami and Orlando, where right. they're not that, like Orlando is not that big of a market compared to like Houston, to, to your point. But regardless, so WWE, they're starting in Texas. They have announced those three shows. And in general, I forgot the exact number. Again, I should have probably had this on me, but I believe they said they're doing something like 25 shows between July 16th and Labor Day. And I, the way I worked that out, I did the math. It's basically... The TV shows, the pay-per-views, and one house show per week. And I find that very interesting because that's really what WWE should have been doing for years now. The, the, the time of doing four house shows plus two TV shows plus one pay-per-view a month was just absolutely insane. They were losing money on actually running the house shows. Talent was really unhappy because despite talent loving working for people. They love doing house shows, asking them to do four house shows in addition to their TV shows each week is just an absolute shit ton. You're never home. There's just so many negatives that go along with it. So I'm really pleased to see that this is the schedule they're starting with. And even if once this ends in Labor Day, they decide to go to two house shows a week, let's say, that's still something that's relatively manageable because you have a split roster. So I'm excited to see them get back out you know, traveling again, the Thunderdome era, we can talk as we get closer to July 16th, what we think about it. Maybe we'll give a little bit of awards, talk pros and cons and things like that. But in the end, this is really the right time for WWE to get back out there. They were very smart, in my opinion, managing their pay-per-view schedule, bumping back Money in the Bank to be the first pay-per-view with fans. Those Money in the Bank matches are so exciting and it is the de facto number five, quote unquote, pay-per-view, even though it doesn't actually hold that, you know, uh, moniker necessarily. Um, so moving Hell in a Cell up, whatever, it's a pay-per-view that's a throwaway anyway. You have Money in the Bank in July and you immediately follow it up in August. It's not officially confirmed yet, but SummerSlam in Las Vegas 
at Allegiant Stadium, which is the Raiders' new stadium, absolutely gorgeous. So I think WWE's return to play plan, for lack of a better term, is really well thought out, and I think they're going to succeed massively with it. Yeah, I think so too. Actually, hey, we got some breaking news here while we're recording this podcast. Well, we'll close it out, I guess, on this. WWE and Adnan Verk have parted ways. Wow. They just WWE tweeted it WWE thanks Adnan Verk for his work. And I just clicked this, the story to kind of read more. That's literally the entire thing. So yeah, breaking news uh, right here as we're recording this literally live. Good job, Chris, finding that out because we were really literally just about to close out the show. I think we were just talking about on last week's show. Hey, uh, we said we'd talk about Adnan Verk after we gave him two months, maybe a little bit more and kind of judge his ability. And I think we had pigeonholed the show after Hell in a Cell, if memory yeah. serves, as the episode where we would actually evaluate him. So let's think it through right now. So first of all, the firing, I think to me at least, comes as a pretty big surprise given how short of a window he was in that lead spot on Raw. But what's not surprising is despite, in my opinion, Adnan improving massively from his first two weeks to the last two weeks, I think he's taken huge steps forward. He just didn't really fit. And it never felt like the raw commentary team was getting people over the way that in a very short period of time, Michael Cole and Pat McAfee have been on SmackDown. So while it's kind of disappointing to see them try something and have it fail, ultimately, it's probably better for all involved that they cut it off now rather than have this go on another three or four months and be pretty obvious that it's not working. I thought he had gotten better and to the point where he wasn't like, he you weren't thinking about him as you were watching the show. It was just kind of starting to happen. I'm surprised they'd cut the cord so quickly. I, I guess... You know, Raw has done a poor job of getting people over and telling stories on commentary. You could say part of that is Adnan Verk and his background and he hadn't got there yet. But honestly, I think the biggest issue with the Raw commentary team is that it's a three-person booth and they can't tell stories. It's so hard. It, it, this goes for regular sports. This goes for any kind of commentary booth. Two people booths, you can develop a chemistry and play off of each other more when it's three. Everybody's just trying to make sure they can jump in where they can. And yeah, maybe it wasn't working with Adnan, but I don't think it was working with raw beforehand. I love Tom Phillips, but I, and I think Tom Phillips does a really good job individually, but that group, you know, Samoa Joe did the best he could and was doing a pretty good job, but it just, it wasn't, they, they, they weren't telling stories. I, I think back to that Cesaro Roman Reigns match at WrestleMania backlash. And the story that Pat McAfee and Michael Cole were able to tell really added to the match. They were just, so good you, in that match. Yeah, you just you ne- you rarely ever get that from the Raw team, and I think a large part of that is because it's because of the setup. So, and I, I assume that's not going to change. I mean, I would love to see them change. I don't want anybody to lose their job, but if if, if you're looking for what you're trying to get out of commentary, I think that's how it works. You know, well, I, I don't know what happens next with, with Adnan Verk, but. Um, it's too bad because, I, 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 like I said, we were going to give him two months and, and make a judgment there. He was certainly trending in the right way. Maybe he wasn't quite there yet, but it's unfortunate he doesn't even get to work two pay-per-views. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not saying he was good, right? That word has never come out of my mouth. But to to be fair to the guy, because I respect him as a broadcaster and a journalist, I mean, it's, it's a, this is a difficult-ass job. Like, it's one thing to, be, to do color commentary. It's another thing to be a play-by-play man for wrestling 
a, a entertainment, I almost call it a sport, but a sport entertainment where you have no experience doing that previously. It's like when Fox hired Gus Johnson to suddenly call soccer and people hated him at the beginning. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, no shit. Cause he's never called soccer before. Just cause you're really good at one thing. Doesn't mean you're going to be really good at something else. There's been many things in life I've tried to do uh, home improvement and things like that. I suck at it. Right. So guess what? I hire people to do it for me. That's how these things work. Um, clipping my dog's nails. I can't do it. I don't want to hurt him. So I bring him to a groomer to do it. I can't do every single thing. So having Adnan Verk come in and just expecting him without any practice, without any, like, here's two months on 205 Live to yeah. groom him and get, and get him ready for Raw, the flagship show, not the A show, but the flagship show of WWE was really not that smart. But to his credit, he definitely improved from those first two weeks where he didn't know wrestler names or move names. He really started getting better. And I'd say over the last two weeks, he proved to be an acceptable part of the broadcast where it did not take me out of the show yeah. thinking, who the hell is this guy and what's he talking about? So that's not a lot of praise, but it's also not a lot of criticism because he was put in a very difficult spot. And really the lesson is it was a bad hire in the first place. And it was probably Nick Khan kind of putting one of his boys, a guy that he used to be the agent for, into a position to give him opportunity after this is a guy that recently got fired from ESPN. So that era of Raw is over. And really the Raw commentary booth, Chris, has been a seesaw, really a roller coaster, not a seesaw, uh, for a long time. Let's not forget when they changed teams, when they did the brand split, they put Vic Joseph in there originally, I believe with Jerry the King Lawler and Byron Saxton, if memory serves. And Vic, there, was, there was someone else in there for a short period. I don't remember. For it was not. Weeks. Was it not Byron? It was someone else. It was someone else. I don't remember his name, though. I didn't know okay. who he was. Maybe while I'm talking, you can correct me and look it up. But it was Vic Joseph and Jerry the King Lawler. It was a Booker T. Potentially. No, I'm, I'm looking it up. OK, well, it was it was Vic Joseph and Jerry the King Lawler that were the two main people that, you know, were making it the most interesting. And Vic Joseph, I thought, was doing a good job and getting a lot better. But they didn't help him out because they put him with Jerry the King Lawler. And you think whatever you want to think about Jerry when he was paired with Jim Ross. They were an epic all-time pairing when he was paired with Vince McMahon back in the day. Oh, it, it was Dio Madden. It was Jerry Lawler, Dio Madden, and Vic Joseph. Dio Madden, that's right. But so they take Vic and they put him again with Jerry, who is, I don't know how old he is now, but... He hasn't been doing commentary and the stuff that Jerry did that was really entertaining at the time was really inappropriate and not really suitable for the, you know, a 2020 audience. And really, when you go back and listen to it, you kind of cringe listening to it and a total neophyte on commentary in Dio Madden. So they gave Vic Joseph no chance to succeed, despite the fact that Vic Joseph is a very, very good play by play man and now does an exceptional job on NXT, even on NXT. They're comparing him to Mauro Ronaldo. You can't compare anyone to Mauro Ronaldo because Mauro Ronaldo is the greatest combat sports announcer of all time when you consider boxing, MMA, and wrestling, and you combine it all. But you gave him no chance. They moved him off. They put Tom Phillips in that role. And I like Tom Phillips. And Tom Phillips was doing a really good job. And they had a good thing going with Tom Phillips and Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe leaves, whether it was WWE releasing him, whether it was him requesting his release because they wouldn't clear him to wrestle. We don't know these things yet. 
but they replace a team that was largely working. And they just take a guy who has never done it before and they put him into the role. So since the beginning of the brand split, the raw commentary team has just been an absolute total flux. I like the idea of a return to what I believe was the old SmackDown commentary team of Tom Phillips, Corey Graves, and Byron Saxton. They already have Graves and Saxton. You throw in Tom, and I think you're right back to a commentary team that people really used to enjoy on SmackDown. That's the move I made. I would make, I'm sorry. I don't know what WWE is going to do, but that's what I hope they do. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I would have loved Tom Phillips and Samoa Joe, just the two of them. I I think that could have been a really fun pairing, but obviously Samoa Joe was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe they try out just Tom and Byron, or maybe they do Corey and Byron, or Tom and Corey. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they do go back to Tom, Corey, and Byron, which they have done before. That's my guess is what they'll do, probably, since that team has been together. So I don't know. I guess we'll kind of have to wait to see next week. But um, yeah, surprising news here. Absolutely. And it is something that certainly we'll see as it transpires. Uh, One other piece of news before we get out of here. Actually, two other pieces of news before we get out of here. What is going on with today's show? Uh, Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful.com is reporting that WWE is going to have a number of firings. Uh, coming up this week, backstage personnel. PW Insider is actually reporting it as well. Looks like so far it's a executive vice president, uh, but it's all backstage people, not actual wrestlers and talent. And Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter is reporting that WWE's first pay-per-view that we were just talking about a moment ago, Money in the Bank in Fort Worth, Texas on July 18th, quote unquote, looks to be a quick sellout. So really good for them. That that's how excited fans are to get back. Hopefully that SmackDown is a, a selling out as well. And that could mean three really exciting days of wrestling uh, in mid-July as crowds are welcomed back to WWE. So Chris, uh, we had a really nice compact like hour and 20 minute show. And we were that's what we want to do every week. But of course, God forbid, we're allowed to get out of here without something happening, right? Yep. No doubt. And I think I, I got to figure out if I can get tickets, especially if you're here in Money in the Bank's already a sellout. I got to figure well, that out because uh, it's going we on. May, we, yeah, we may have avenues in which to make that happen. Well, and you just yeah, got to we'll tell see. me you want to go. That's the key. I, I, I haven't yet figured out if I can this problem. Talk to your wife. Let's figure out. If no, I mean, for work, I may be traveling. Oh. That's what I don't know. If there's media oh, you days may be going traveling. On. Yeah, I might be traveling for, for media, for college football media days. I, I thought you were just talking about covering it from home. No, 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 no. Okay, cool. Well, look, we will have more on that coming up soon. Coming up still this week, we will have an ultimate preview for AEW Double or Nothing along with coverage of everything that happens Tuesday night in NXT. I'm not yet sure whether that episode is going to get published Wednesday or Thursday because Dynamite is moved to Friday this week at 10 p.m. So we're not going to be able to do an ultimate preview immediately after Dynamite. There's not going to be much time before the pay-per-view. That means without having a Wednesday show, theoretically, we could send the podcast out on Wednesday because NXT is on Tuesday, or we may go to Thursday. It's going to depend on Chris's schedule, but vintage Chris Vanini, as of right now, the plan is he will be joining me for the ultimate preview of AEW Double or Nothing coming out in the middle of this week. And with AEW Dynamite airing on Friday night at 10 p.m., the Silver King, we will have a Double or Nothing go home show for you. I'm not sure whether it's going to be Friday at midnight Eastern, basically Saturday morning, Uh, right after that goes off the air, or if we're going to do it 
ahead of the Double or Nothing pay-per-view, what I'll probably do is put a poll on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast, and you guys can vote when you want that Go Home Show, but it will be live on Twitter Spaces, and I hope that you all can join us. In order to join us for that on Twitter Spaces, all you need to do is follow us at Getting Overcast on Twitter. You also need to have the official Twitter app for iOS or Android on your phone or mobile device, and that's all you need, and you'll be able to listen and join in on that conversation. And then, of course, on Sunday, immediately after Double or Nothing, goes off the air, we will have an AEW Double or Nothing Instant Analysis Podcast. So we have an extremely long, busy week ahead, plenty of wrestling still to talk. we got Finn Balor versus Karrion Cross for the NXT title on Tuesday. I'm excited for that show. I'm excited to bring you AEW Ultimate Previews and Instant Analysis. I'm excited to bring you the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So for Vintage Chris Benini, this is once again the Silver King Adam Silver Scene leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.